Let me ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus in chapter 19. Uh, Exodus in chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to use one of those provided in the seats in front of you. Uh, You'll find our passage this morning in that Bible on page 60. Uh, Page 60. If you're using a sermon outline, uh, either from last week or one that was out there on the table as you came in, uh, I do need to let you uh, be made aware of a little switcheroo that I'm pulling here. Um, I've decided to preach the end of the outline this morning and cover the middle of the outline tonight. Uh, So in all, there's six observations that we're making from uh, the second part of Exodus 19. We saw the first two observations last week. We're going to do numbers 5 and 6 this morning and then cover 3 and 4 tonight. So a little out of order, but I like to keep us on our toes, and so that's what's going on there. Next Sunday, as I said earlier, we will move to Exodus 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments. And I am praying that God will do much good in us as we study that momentous chapter. I'm praying He will show us Christ, uh, that we will hear the gospel anew, even as we are studying the law of God. And so I am very excited about moving into that section of Scripture. Um, But we do still have some work here to do in Exodus 19. So let's, let's remember where we are. Let's remember what's happening in this chapter. Uh, God has put forward a covenant to Israel. Uh, He says, I've rescued you out of Egypt. I've brought you to myself here at this mountain. And now, if you will live, Israel, as a faithful, redeemed people, if you will keep covenant with me, you will be my treasured possession among all the nations. And so God delivers this word to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes down the mountain to the elders of Israel. And on behalf of the people, the elders express their desire to enter into this covenant with God. So then Moses goes back up the mountain. And there he learns that God is going to come upon the mountain in a special, powerful presence. And that God is going to do this in three days' time. In three days' time, God is going to come to the mountain and He is going to deliver to Israel the specifics of His covenant terms. Israel is saying, okay, we will live as a faithful, redeemed people, but what does that mean? And God is going to tell them. How are God's people now saved out of bondage in Egypt? How are they now supposed to? to live and so God is going to give them when he comes to the mountain in power he's going to give them his law his covenant with them he he is going to constitute them as a nation Uh, we sometimes use the phrase Shekinah glory to speak of the way that God was going to reveal himself on this mountain Um, The word Shekinah isn't found in the Bible, but it was used by the ancient Jews to speak of the way God would reveal himself in special visitations. Uh, The word literally means to cause to dwell. It's the idea of God being especially present with men. Uh, Remember, as Israel has been traveling through the wilderness, God has been with them in a pillar of fire. 
and in a pillar of cloud leading them through the wilderness. And that is an example of God's Shekinah glory. But on Mount Sinai, at the appointed time, God was going to reveal himself in a way that would cause this entire nation to tremble. And so let's look at these verses again. Let's see what happens when that three-day point is reached and God comes in power on the mountain. So beginning verse 7, verse 7 of Exodus 19. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people. And consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. He shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people. And told them. Now, as I mentioned uh, earlier last time, we started making six observations from these verses. We've hit two of them. There's four more to go. We've already seen the importance of fearing God. Uh, This was one of the primary lessons that God was teaching Israel through this almost volcanic experience at the mountain. We've also already seen the importance of reverence when we meet with God. 
Uh, Here at Mount Hermon, we take seriously that our worship should always be marked by a healthy, joyful, but humble respect and awe for the God we are worshiping. Our God is a consuming fire. See our third and fourth observations tonight. Now observation number five. See the importance of being regularly reminded of God's commands. See the importance of being regularly reminded of God's commands. These verses we just read are meant to be powerful. You're meant to, to, to picture this moment of this trembling. But, but honestly, these verses also have a comical side to them. Moses is getting his exercise, isn't he? He is going up and he is coming down and he is going up and he is coming down. In verses 9 through 13, God gave Moses instructions to deliver to the people about how they were to prepare for this appointment with God. And paramount was this instruction that they must be careful not to touch the mountain, not to even go to the edge of it. The consequences of touching the mountain would be fatal. And so in verses 14 and 15, Moses does what he's told. He goes down the mountain, he gathers the people, he he tells them these instructions. And in verse 16, God arrives on the mountain. Moses has done his job. He's gathered the people around the foot of the mountain and they're, they're trembling in their boots and they're, they're scared. But here they are at the foot of the mountain and God speaks and he speaks in a way that I think everybody can hear. We'll see later in Deuteronomy that Israel remembered hearing the voice of God from the top of the mountain. And so God speaks and he says, Moses, come up. And so Moses goes up the mountain and Moses goes all the way up the mountain. And what does God say? Go down the mountain, right? Go down the mountain to warn these people, lest they decide to break through the cloud that surrounds the mountain. Uh, remember, this would be like pulling back the veil on the Holy of Holies in the temple. This, this was to teach them a lesson that would last for centuries with the tabernacle in the temple. You don't enter the Holy of Holies. And, and so basically, God called Moses all the way up, To say, Moses, go back down and tell them again what you've already told them. Tell them again the same message you already delivered to them, not to break through the cloud. And understandably, Moses, with probably tired legs, he protests. He says, but but God, (laughs) right? You, You already did this. Verse 23, God, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. You yourself warned us. You you told us, God, to to set limits. You told us to to consecrate. And yet God says in verse 24, Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. God is repeating himself. God is saying the same thing again and again. Why? Mount Hermon, don't you wish... That we were the kind of people who could hear something once and we didn't need to hear it again. Wouldn't it be great if that's who we were? Yet how often do our lives show that we need to be reminded over and over again about the most important and the most serious commands of our God. The fact is, God was establishing here principles that would be important for Israel throughout the rest of her history in this covenant with God. When priests 
drew near to the tabernacle or the temple, their lives would depend on whether or not they had properly consecrated themselves. And so God is teaching that in these verses. Moses, make absolutely sure that the priests are consecrated. And he is teaching these people not to try and get a peek at God. They are not to try and sneak into the holy place or into the holiest place in order to see God's special presence. Here, his presence has come to the mountain, and it is of utmost importance that the people do not try and draw nearer than God has given them permission to come. Because they are sinners, and God is holy. Only God's chosen mediator can draw near. Moses has been given permission to come up, and Aaron, as his assistant, has been permission to come up. And all of this was to teach, by the way, that we need a mediator between us and God. All of this teaching about God's holiness and you cannot come near, but I've chosen one who can go up for you and intercede for you. This was all pointing to Jesus Christ. This was all pointing to the day when the Messiah would come, the ultimate Moses, the true Moses, the true mediator, Jesus. So God knew what he was doing. He was not repeating himself out of folly. So it's intentional repetition. And yet let it teach us how important reminders are for us. Have you ever wondered why God appointed for us to gather together every seven days? Why do we need to come together every seven days and hear the word of God again? The truth is we can't go long without needing a refresher about what matters most in this world. We are like children. Parents have to remind their children over and over and over again about certain truths and certain instructions. And and in the same way, our God is a good Father. And He is so forbearing with us and He's so patient with us, but He brings us together week after week after week. It's family meeting time again. Family meeting time again. Why? To remind us of the most important truths that we need to know. The Apostle Paul's writings are full of this. Uh, Later in our study of Romans, we're going to be in there, we're going to hopefully finish Romans, Lord willing, in 2018. And as we're doing that, we will hear Paul say to the church in Rome, he will say, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder by the grace God has given me. In other words, Paul's going to tell the church at Rome, I know that not everything I wrote in this letter was new for you. I know it was not all new teaching. No, I said a lot of things that you already knew. And yet, you know what? God called me to do that. God has appointed me by His grace to write to you boldly about things you already know. Why? As a reminder. It is good, Paul said to the church in Rome, for you to be reminded. And I have an apostolic duty, Paul said, to remind you. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, this is why I sent Timothy to you. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, here's why I, though it sorrowed my soul, here is why I said to Timothy, Timothy, you must leave me. Go to the church at Corinth. Why? To remind you of my ways in the Lord as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Here's why I sent Timothy to you. To remind you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, 
of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. Some people seem to think that the gospel is something we need to hear when we're lost and we need to be saved. But then afterwards, now that I'm saved, now that I've believed on Christ crucified, I don't need the gospel message anymore. I need something else. Paul says, wrong. He says, I write to remind you yet again of the gospel in which you stand. Mount Hermon, this needs to be a gospel preaching church week in and week out. If the name of Jesus Christ is not being proclaimed from this pulpit as the only hope for sinners, we are not doing it right. This is to be a place where you come every week and hear gospel reminders. In fact, Paul said that a large part of a pastor's duty is to remind God's people of certain truths. So here's Timothy pastoring in Ephesus. And Paul said to Timothy, remind them of these things. Charge them, not, charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Timothy, remind them about quarreling. <laughs> Titus 3 verse 1, Paul says to Titus who's serving on the island of Crete, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. They already know it, Titus. Just remind them. Mount Hermon, beware the preacher that is always bringing you something new. A faithful pastor does not need to preach new truths and new ideas. A faithful pastor proclaims the faith once for all delivered to the saints. If you've been sitting under faithful Bible preaching in the past, or you've been reading the Bible faithfully for yourself, then much of what you hear from a faithful pastor should be reminder. It should be things that you you already know. And as God's messenger, that appointed pastor is bringing back to your mind precious truths so that they don't get lost, so they don't get forgotten. You ever feel like some things just fall out of the back of your, your mind? Happens to me all the time. I know I'm supposed to know that person's name. Oh, do you remember? I I can't recall what. and, And it feels like certain things that you know you're supposed to know and they've just fallen out the back of your mind. Well, good pastors, God says, are to be people who help bring the most important truths to the forefront of our minds so that they don't fall out. All right. We as Christians must also be preachers to ourselves. God calls each of us to be reminders reminders to our own souls. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. In other words, Corinthians, yes, I am writing to remind you of certain truths, but guess what else, Corinthians? You need to remind yourselves of certain truths. In particular there, he was saying, remind yourself that you don't have a monopoly on Jesus Christ. There are others who belong to Christ too. And he says, Corinthians, remind yourselves of that regularly. You need to keep that in your mind. In Mount Hermon, there are certain truths, vital truths, that we need to remind ourselves of daily. That we need to bring back to our mind on a daily basis. Do you see how this connects? With that strange thing that we did last Sunday. Remember that thing that we did? We took that crunched up 
cracker-like bread, right? And we ate a little teeny piece. And we took that, that juice, well, which is grape juice, and we drank just, just enough to make you thirsty, right? Why do we do that? God has appointed the Lord's Supper, which we do once a month, to be a reminder, a visual reminder of the same message that we're to have an audible reminder of every Sunday. The Lord's Supper helps make sure that we never forget the most important truth of all, that our hope is in the broken body and the spilled blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reminder meal. and It is a gift to us in that way. So observation number five, Mount Hermon, let us learn from this passage the importance of reminders. Now number six, number six. Let us see from this passage the importance of heeding God's word. The importance of heeding God's word. Heeding starts with listening. It means you pay attention. It means you hear what's being said, right? Husbands, sometimes we can be guilty of this. Our wife is talking and we're saying, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, but we're not heeding. <laughs> we're not really listening. We're not really hearing what's being said, Okay, so heeding starts with really listening and hearing, but then it goes from listening to obeying. Taking what we've heard from God and putting it into practice. Now, Herman, do you see what was at stake for these Israelites if they did not heed the command that Moses was bringing them from God? What if you just decided, you know what, I just really, really, really want to get a glimpse of God. I want to see what's going on in that smoky mountain. And you decided to to try and push the smoke away and look through. You were to be stoned to death or shot. And by the way, when it says shot, it doesn't mean with a gun. They didn't have guns. It means with a bow and arrow. Okay, that's what that means. So so you were to die if you did not obey the word of God. The, The people's lives depended on it. Last Sunday, I drew your attention to to Hebrews 12, because there the author of Hebrews talks about two mountains. He starts off with Mount Sinai, and our passage here in Exodus 19, where God's people are entering into covenant with God, they're being constituted as a nation, and then the Hebrew writer says, but there's another mountain, Mount Zion, And he's not actually talking about the actual physical mountain. He's talking about the heavenly kingdom. And just as Israel made a covenant with God at Sinai and became his nation there, Christians, this is you and me, we are people who have entered into covenant with God and have become his holy people through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when the Hebrew writer talks about these two mountains, mountains, Sinai, Mount Zion. He's really talking about the old covenant, the relationship that God had with ancient Israel and the new covenant that God has with anybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mount Sinai, old covenant, Mount Zion, new covenant. Listen to what he says. I quoted this last week talking about the fear of God, but now we're talking about obedience heeding and putting into practice what God says. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. He says, You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. 
for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He's talking about our passage here. Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, fire, darkness, tempest, trumpet, the booming voice of God, the people trembling, even Moses trembling. And God was calling Israel to obedience. But God was calling Israel to obedience through terror. He was calling Israel to obedience in a way that would break through their hard-hearted, stubborn, unbelieving hearts. And he was using fear to motivate the people of Israel to obey. But now listen to what he says about us and our covenant and how God motivates us to obey. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And doesn't that sound better than trembling in your boots? In fact, if we stopped there, we might say, well, in the old covenant, God motivated his people to obey through fear. In the new covenant, God motivates his people to obey with something else, right? He, he, he motivated them to obey through fear because they were hard-hearted. But we're new covenant people, and we've been given new hearts. And so God doesn't use fear to motivate us anymore. Well, we saw last week that that's not entirely true, Because the Hebrew writer next says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In other words, at Mount Sinai God shook the earth and it scared everybody. And it put fear in their hearts. But he says, You as Christians are living with the knowledge that there is coming a day when the entire universe is going to be shaken. Everything is going to be shaken. There's going to be a universe quake. There is a day of judgment that is going to make what happened at Mount Sinai look like a nap. Okay, It's going to be that much more spectacular and wondrous, and therefore there should still be a holy fear of God in your heart, dear Christian. (laughs) If there is nothing else in you, motivating you to heed and put into practice the commands of God, then let this terror motivate you to obedience. You will be part of that great judgment day. And on that great judgment day, whether God's awesome power is working for you or against you will depend on whether you are his enemy or his child. And make no bones about it, the Hebrew writer says, if you are living in continual disobedience, If you are not heeding the word of God, then you are God's enemy and you will die an eternal death. But if you love God and if you trust him and you you show your trust in him by keeping his commandments, then, then on that day God will be working his awesome power for your sake and for your benefit. You are not saved by works, but let's be clear, faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is fruitless, useless, non-saving faith. 
God's true people will live in obedience. And so the Hebrew writer does point us to fear, right? And says, let there still be something of that in your soul as you seek to heed the word of God. But fear is not the only motivator of our obedience as Christians. In fact, it's not even the main motivator. It should not be the the primary motive of why you heed the word of God. At Mount Sinai, God spoke and the people wet their pants. And they cried out, no more, no more. Don't let God speak to us anymore, Moses. But in Hebrews 12, verse 24, we read that we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. How does God speak to us now in the new covenant? Not with James, Earl Jones, shake the earth. No, no, no. He speaks through blood. He speaks through blood-soaked words. Folks, in the new covenant, the commands are the same as they were in the old covenant. You say, Justin, what am I supposed to heed? You're supposed to not have other gods but God. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to avoid idolatry, honor God's name, keep His day, honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. All of this can be summed up as love God and love your neighbor. The commands of the old covenant and the new covenant are the same. The difference is that now in the new covenant, God speaks those words to you with blood-soaked words. The Lamb of God has been sacrificed. For your sins. And we've been cleansed by His blood. And we've been forgiven. And so now the greatest motivator we have to obedience is the love of God. That we have been loved. That He has loved us in Jesus Christ. And Christ has taken the condemnation that our sins deserve. Yes, I will hear God. I will not say, stop talking God. I don't want to hear anymore. That's what they did in Exodus 19. No, we say, God, speak more. Speak more. I love your blood-soaked words because I know even your commands, O God, come to me in love. They come to me in grace. They come to me for my well-being. Has God won your heart this morning? Can you say, no one has loved me like my God. No one else has given his very son for my soul. God has given Jesus to me as my bridegroom, as my protector, as my friend, as my provider, the lover of my soul. Can you say, Jesus is all the world to me. And in Jesus, I have the love of God. And therefore, the main reason why I'm here on Sundays, hearing the word of God, wanting to obey the word of God, It's because I love my God and He loves me. And that's my primary motivation for obedience. To put it the way we learned as kids, here's the main reason that we seek to live lives of obedience to God. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Or, as we sing it, our default motivation should be, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Well, drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. But here, Lord, 
I give myself away. It's all that I can do. Oh, I'm not going to be able to pay God back. I'm not even going to try and pay God back for what he's done. But I want my life of obedience to be worship to the God who has loved me so much. This is what the blood of Jesus does for us. It turns duty into choice. It turns duty into delight. It, the, God's love for our souls compels us into happy obedience. And so Mount Hermon, let us be reminded yet again of the love of God for us sinners and let us freshly be resolved as we move into our study of the Ten Commandments. Let us freshly be resolved to be doers and not just hearers of the Word. Not just because God is big and scares us, but because His love is big and has been great towards us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.